Welcome back to LGBT Time Machine, an LGBTQ plus history podcast on the Orange Groves Network. This is Theo, and this week we're going to be talking about Lily Elby, a transgender woman from the early 20th century, and also a little bit about the movie that was made about her life, The Danish Girl. Uh, so first things first, I want to open the show by taking some questions from listeners. If you have a question you'd like me to answer, uh, something from an episode you're confused by, or just something you're curious about, shoot me a message or tweet me at TimeLGBTQ. So the first question this episode is from at underscore grayest on Twitter, who asked, when history talks about hustlers, what's a hustler? My understanding from media and whatnot doesn't support there being a population of hustlers, but hustlers is always one of the groups showing up for the riot. So my understanding is that historically the term hustler is referring to sex workers. They're also sometimes called street hustlers, which basically means they hustled on the street, implying sex work as well. Uh, around the riots and such, there was a fair amount of LGBTQ plus individuals who worked on the street, who were on the front lines during all of these like actions. And a lot of the places that were targeted by police were places where transgender individuals and hustlers, sometimes individuals who are both, hung out after work, which is why they're one of the groups showing up for all of these riots and stuff. Our other question for this episode comes from Golden Pelt on our Discord, who asked, Since the next episode, this episode, is focusing on Lily Elby, will you be branching out to more other countries or stay focused on the U.S. until we reach the pleasant? So my hope is to super branch out a bit, and cover as much as I can. Unfortunately, I'm probably going to be very U.S. and European-centric a lot, which is disappointing, but that is what I studied the most and am more of an expert on. Um, But my big, big goal is to be able to bring in historians who are experts in other countries and communities, um, particularly historians who are, like, own voices and can actually talk from their own experience here, um, to be guests on the show so that we can start covering a more global history. I think it is such a cool and expansive history that there's a lot to talk about just on in the U.S. or just in Europe, but also is really worth talking about on a global scale because all of these other countries and communities and cultures have had their own history and have had gone through all of these events very differently and sometimes are still going through it. And I think that is worth talking about. I just want to make sure I'm bringing in the proper people to talk about it because I, as a white trans person from the U.S. who mostly studied U.S. LGBTQ plus history, can't exactly shed a great amount of light. And while I can do research and read books and such, I just think having an actual personal touch there would most benefit the show and tell a more accurate depiction. So, Lily Elby. This episode is going to focus on her. But something important I want to mention before we get going, as always, is that it's important to remember that certain terminology that we have now didn't always exist at the time, um, specifically the term transgender. It's impossible to know if LB herself would have used this term to describe herself, but her experiences are in a direct alignment with the transgender identity as it stands today, so that's the term I'm going to use for her. However, just please remember that this term as it exists in our understanding of it wasn't around at the time. Another important thing is that this historical period used some terms that we no longer use in contemporary language, including the word hermaphrodite. I'm going to try and only use this term when it's in a quote or giving context to a quote, but please be aware that it is the term they used at the time and is not a term that we use now. Also, for the sake of giving information on LB, 
I will mention her dead name as part of her background information, but otherwise I'm going to be using her chosen name and her pronouns, which are she, her, as much as possible. So for those who don't know, Lily Elby was a transgender woman in the 20th century who was one of the first individuals to undergo sexual reassignment surgery. Uh, Elby didn't realize her identity as a transgender woman until much later in her life, but upon realizing this aspect of herself, she went on a physical and mental journey to become a woman. The entirety of her transition, as well as her life prior to it, is depicted within her memoir. It's kind of weird to call it a memoir because it was published after she died, but it's mostly based off her own tellings. Um, Man into Woman, The First Sex Change, a portrait of Lily Elby, which was published after her death in 1933. So more on that book later. Some basic facts about this woman. Lily Elise Elvenis, also known as Lily Elby, was born Einar Wegner in Vigila, Denmark, on December 28th, 1882. Uh, full disclosure, I don't know how to speak or read a lot of these names. I'm going to do my absolute best. Um, even research didn't couldn't really tell me how to say it correctly. So I'm really sorry for everyone out there who I just butchered part of your language. Um, Elby studied art at the Royal Danish Academy of Fine Arts in Copenhagen, Denmark, which is where she met illustrator and painter Gerda Gottlieb, um, who would become Elby's wife in 1904. Elby specialized in landscape paintings in a post-impressionistic style, whereas Gerda was a book and magazine illustrator who also specialized in portraits. So in 1908, an actress, Anna Larson, didn't show up for a modeling session with Gerda, and it was suggested that Einer pose instead, wearing women's clothing because of Einer's delicate build. Um, while Elby was hesitant at first, she eventually agreed, um, and she later wrote, I cannot deny, strange as it may sound, that I enjoyed myself in this disguise. I liked the feel of soft women's clothing. I felt very much at home in them from the first moment. Elby recollects the occurrence that led her to the realization that she was not a man in her memoir and talked more on it. She ended up writing that Gerda chafed me and abused me and implored me and petted me, and a few minutes later, I was standing in the studio in costume and in high-heeled shoes. Um, and this was a moment of discovery for her in which she realized that she might, in fact, be a woman. So following that moment, she began to experiment with her gender expression. She'd go out in public dressed as a woman and embraced this new aspect of her identity. And pretty soon, she was actually a frequent model for her wife, and the persona of Lily started developing apart from Einar. Um, Lily chose her name when, after walking in on a modeling session, Anna Larson, the actress who didn't come to the one modeling session, um, suggested Lily. Um, it was soon adopted, and Lily uh, kind of started using the name outside of the modeling sessions. And the surname was chosen in honor of a river that flows through Dresden, Germany. So Elby went on her way. She adopted the name Lily when she was dressing up. And she was kind of starting to feel fulfilled by this and was like, wow, this feels neat. This feels correct. This is like a really fulfilling thing that I wasn't expecting when my wife convinced me to cross dress for a model as a model for her painting. But um, unfortunately, in 1912, word emerged that the model for Gerda was actually her husband, and they faced a scandal in their home city of Copenhagen. Uh, a lot of people weren't happy about it. It wasn't really a friendly time for people who were trans. There was, again, there wasn't really an understanding of what transgender was 
And the, the thought of a man dressing up as a woman was not great in the eyes of society. So the couple left their country and moved to Paris, France, which they thought would be more accepting. And so throughout the 1920s, Lily frequently appeared at events as herself. She would dress up, she would go to the nines, even putting on makeup, and would just have a good time being herself. And Gerda would often introduce her as Einer's sister. However, Lily often felt ill at ease as her legal identity, um, her birth name as this male person, this male person. Um, and once she was exposed to wife as a woman, even out and about, she chased after it and was dressing up as a woman more and more and going out to social events, sometimes even without Gerda. Um, Gerda recounted numerous times when she would stumble upon Lily blatantly flirting with men, and being asked later, Lily began to examine her identities as two separate entities. Lily and I became two beings. If Lily was not there, we spoke of her as, as of a third person. When Lily was there, that is, when I was not there, I was spoken of between her and Gerda as a third person. And that was the perspective that um, this was Einer speaking about Lily um, on gender identity and on Lily being separate. And that's something that I, from an outside point of view, think was probably a coping mechanism to deal with the dysphoria. But I can't really ask her, and it's not really gone into detail in her book, so I don't want to say for sure. I will say this is a, a fairly unique point of view on the matter, that your your trans identity is an entirely different person and persona. Uh, but it's also one I can kind of relate to in a, in a different way. Like, who I was before I came out feels like a different person entirely to who I am now. I don't hate that person, but she's not me. And she feels very disconnected from me, even though her experiences and thoughts shaped me and are still pretty prevalent in who I am today as a core personality. Um, so it's interesting because I definitely like, I don't think I've ever referred to myself in the past tense and been like, that was a different person. We are not the same. But I also like can kind of see the distancing and the further you are along in your transition, the more you're looking back and you're like, I'm not that person anymore. But that's also fair to say about anyone at any age because the person you are 10 years ago is a completely different person than who you are now. Um, it's just a little bit more stark if you're trans. Uh, but anyway, this episode is not about me or my transition and is about someone much more pioneering. So dysphoria being trans, separate entities. There wasn't really a lot of scientific precedent for being transgender, um, but there was some vague and not entirely accurate understandings of sexuality and biological sex that were starting to develop. Scientifically, the topic of individuals who had inconclusive sex characteristics, sometimes termed hermaphrodites, was becoming more researched and in turn that encouraged research into other aspects of biological sex and its relation to gender, although they didn't think about gender in the way we do today. During a time period which was termed the Age of the Gonads by Alice Dermorat Dreger in her book Hermaphrodites and the Medical Invention of Sex, European doctors began to examine their definitions of what um, a hermaphrodite was and what classifications a body had to meet to be considered as such. The definition these doctors reached was one where a body contained both ovarian and testicular tissue to equal extents. 
Otherwise, people would be classified as mostly male or mostly female. Uh, I want to say I am I am not intersex. This is not my community, so I cannot speak a lot on it. But there are a lot of issues with how doctors viewed hermaphrodites and treated them. Uh, and while the classification of this was paramount to understanding the evolution of sex reassignment surgery and that all, all of the surgeries which were practiced in the 20th century were derived from experiments done to uh, uh, fix people who were incorrectly classified as male as female at birth. And so that's another thing. I say fixed loosely and with air quotes because it, it seems extremely unethical to do a surgery on a person without their permission to make them more aligned with the sex that you as a doctor think they're supposed to be or that you as parents think they're supposed to be. Um, these people didn't need fixing and didn't consent to these procedures and so it's kind of really hard to think about how shitty the medical practice has been to people throughout time um, not just this group but literally so many minorities and marginalized people were experimented on and those are the basis of the medicine that we practice today and so all of the procedures that Lily Elby underwent for her gender reaffirming surgery originated from these such surgeries and that's, it was really beneficial to her, and it paved the way for her to be able to do that. But I also think it's really important to talk about the fact that these were experiments, and the doctors didn't necessarily explain to their patients what they were doing or make sure they understood it. And sometimes they just acted because it's what they thought were best, and people were like, you're a doctor, so if you think it's best, that's what's best. And our understanding of a lot of these things was just not not where it is today. And even today, I feel like our understanding could be better. But I feel like that's that's part of medicine is we are always looking back and being like, wow, five years ago, we thought this thing. Um, but yeah, so this development of understanding of what a hermaphrodite was and surgeries surrounding that um, really helped shape the procedures and line of thinking that led up to LB's transition. There were also other developments in the scientific way of thinking. So Carl Heinrich Ulrichs uh, published a series of booklets from 1864 to 1865 called Researches on the Riddle of Man-Manly Love, where he developed a theory about people like himself, which he called Ernigs, um, whom he described with a Latin phrase, anima malibris viral corpore inclusa, which meant a female soul enclosed in a male body. Another man, Carl Maria Kurt Benny coined the term homosexual in 1869, which he also intended to connote same-sex love minus the element of gender inversion, um, which was found in the term Ernig. So both men believed that because transgender and homosexual feelings had a biological basis, laws against their expression should be reformed in the name of a rational social order that reflected scientific truth. Basically, they were like, so we keep appearing there there keep being people here who don't identify with the gender that they were born in not that they had those terms but like or love people of the same gender uh clearly this is a biological thing uh since it since it's biological we should really kind of consider how we rule against it legally um it is interesting that uh the term Ernig, which was in the 1860s, talks about a female soul enclosed in a male body because a lot of people 
A lot of white people in Western civilization like to pretend that the idea of being trans was such like a new thing that happened in the 2010s. And historically, that's just not true. A lot of other cultures had words and ideas and concepts for what this thing that uh, Carl Ulrich was describing and what our understanding of what being trans and non-binary is today. And this is just another another way to say like, hey, this has existed for a really long time. It's not new. Your just conservative mindset is wanting to pretend it's new and that it's all about the internet and video games and all that bullshit. Um, I also want to talk about this this Latin term, which is female soul and close to male body, because that's that line of thinking is definitely like that I'm just in the wrong body, I'm trapped in the wrong body. And while that is sometimes true for some transgender individuals, that is not how everyone feels because people are different and their experiences are different and how they navigate their gender is different. So you're valid if you feel like that. You're also valid if you don't feel like that. Anyway, back to the history. Um, so they were fighting to change the laws. Um, there was another person who was fighting to change the laws, and that was Magnus Hirschfeld. Um, and I want to do a whole spotlight episode on him, but he pioneered a lot of research in relation to being trans. And one article wrote that, less noted among modernist scholars is that the term transsexual was coined in 1923 um, by Magnus Hirschfeld, founder of the Institute of Sexual Science for Berlin, um, which where the first transsexual surgeries were performed. Um, in his article, The Intersexual Constitution, Hirschfeld coined transsexual to describe the adoption of the gender role opposite to birth sex by men and women who held an unswerving conviction that they were assigned the wrong sex. So, like, 1920s, this man is literally building his research on what being trans was and talking about people who were trans. Um, so, and he, there was already the, like, the category of transvestite, and he created this category to kind of to distinguish cross-dressing from homosexuality, and the lack of a single term to capture the various experiences of his subjects led him to describe, if not name, transsexuals. Uh, Hirschfeld studied gender and sexuality and his concept of sexual intermediaries, the idea that every human being represented a unique combination of sex characteristics, secondary sex-linked traits, erotic preferences, psychological inclinations, and culturally acquired habits and practice, helped revolutionize thinking around gender and sex. He also co-founded the Scientific Humanitarian Committee in 1897, which devoted itself to social reform on behalf of sexual minorities. He was a cool dude who did a lot of research and advocacy for the community, and he also helped Lily be who she was. Um, a lot of his research was lost during uh, World War II, because I'm sure you can imagine that this line of thinking was not necessarily favored by Nazis and those in power, and the, a lot of the book-burning stuff, like, almost everything from the Institution for Sexual Science in Berlin was destroyed. But we're gonna talk on that later and talk about, like, some of his really big contributions. Uh, but this is, again, about Lily, and I keep getting sidetracked, but I hope that's okay. Uh, this is just a person, like, this episode is a little bit weirder because it's a spotlight and it's the first spotlight and also I just think she's cool I think a lot of the really early trans women are cool 
and are worth talking about in their experiences with gender and transitioning helped pave the way for what we have now. Um, but yeah, but there was a lot of science that led up to that. And I also thought that that was worth talking about and hopefully made sense. Um, I'm happy to expand on that more if anyone would like me to. So, Lily's experience with gender, including her fragmented identity, possibly brought on by gender dysphoria, grew out of her belief that um, her gender didn't correspond with her biological sex. In her memoir, she wrote that innumerable doctors and specialists had examined me without result. One doctor declared that uh, Lily was hysterical, another found nothing wrong at all, and a third, a radiologist, uh, exposed Lily to very dangerous procedures as a cure, which ended up causing physical damage. So, not great. Uh, the things we've done to people to try and cure them, not great. Uh, later, Elby, uh, approached three surgeons at the recommendation of a fourth doctor, and she was told by all of them that she was perfectly crazy. Uh, no medical doctor understood what Elby referenced when she cited psychological pains in regards to her identity, and the lack of assistance and understanding that she faced had drastic effects on her. Um, she had both physical and psychological pains during and after these visits from the various doctors, and she was so sickly and despondent that Gerda basically gave up hope for help and had kind of resigned herself that her the person she loved was going to be miserable, um, which is really shitty and a really dark place to be and a really dark place to be in for the people you love and also goes to show why it's so important for resources to exist and to listen to patients because not just about being trans, but there are so many times when doctors are just like, I'm just going to write you off because this is what I think is happening. And when actually there's like a lot of really underlying stuff happening and I just think that you, patients should be listened to and heard, and all avenues should be explored before we write them off. Anyway, off my soapbox again. Um, so they all gave up hope, and this act, this only changed after a new doctor, uh, Dr. Kurt uh, across, uh proposed that Lily might be a hermaphrodite. He based his, his hypothesis entirely on a single interview with her, and then was like, you should go undergo some examinations to see if my hypothesis is true. Um... And this, Kurt Warnercross is really important because, I as I was saying, she, she was at a really low place. And she even wrote that she considered suicide as the only solution to her dysphoria before this doctor agreed to meet with her and was like, I think I know what's wrong. We should do further testing. Uh, a quote from her memoir described that, uh, For Einer believed that in reality he was not a man but a woman. He had grown tired of it all and made up his mind to end his existence. Again, the importance of resources. There are so many studies that are being done right now that anyone who's trans will obviously will be like, yes, of course, we've been saying this all wrong, that are basically like correctly gendering someone and respecting their pronouns and their name when, they, when they're like, this is the name I want to go by, has a huge impact on the mental health of trans people, especially trans youth. And there's such a high suicide rate among people who are trans and trans kids because of how they're treated, because of the lack of, like, respecting their gender and respecting their names. And it has devastating impact. And when you are 
disrespected and told that you're not valid day in and day out by small actions and by people refusing to respect your pronouns in your name. It takes a toll. So, like, this just goes, so it took a toll on her. This was almost, actually, it was 100 years ago at this point. Like, the 1920s were 100 years ago. It's 2020 now. This is the same issue. And I just, I, I assume everyone who's listening to this are people who are supportive of the LGBTQA plus community. But, like, if you're not, think about the impact that you have and think about what words and actions can do. Because this is still an issue and so many people contemplate or attempt suicide because of how people are treating them and their gender. And that's just so shitty. Respect people and validate them. Their gender is real and their identity is real and they deserve to be told that. Um, so yeah, she she had, was she basically had no other option in her mind. Every other doctor had deemed her problem to be a hysterical one caused by stress or weakness. Um, and the idea that someone identifying with a gender that didn't correlate to their biological sex was unheard of to these physicians. And it was really only after Warner Cross theorized that there was a biological cause for her crisis of identity that she was able to receive help. Because the medical community just completely lacked the understanding to deal with the psychological issue. Um... And so while a lot of them couldn't understand her gender from a psychological point of view, after Dr. Warner Cross was like, maybe she's a hermaphrodite. Um, maybe she like has multiple characteristics. Uh, she was actually able to begin her transition because they had procedures for that. Again, derived from not great ways, but they had procedures. So after her initial meeting, she went to Berlin to undergo an examination from a secondary doctor who concluded that LB's masculine element was by far the least considerable part of her being, which in his opinion was from the emotional standpoint reveals between 80 and 100% of feminine characteristics. The examination of your blood has yielded a similar result. This examination is revealing in how Warner Cross and the second doctor thought of LB. Again, it's important to note that previously every doctor Lily had encountered assumed that she was hysterical, that her symptoms were a symptom of an entirely different illness. And the fact that Warner Cross considered both her emotional and physical states in his conclusion was a little groundbreaking. And the shift in attitudes was occurring during Lily's time and possibly because of her was one of really big importance. I also just, I want to put out here that no historian can confirm or deny what Lily Elby's biological sex was. If she was intersex, if she was not, we don't know. Because records and how they were kept and most of what we know about her comes from her own memoir. However, some people who are intersex do identify as trans, some do not. It's the same as everyone. Everyone is different and their identity is different and very unique to them. Um, so I don't, I don't want this to be an example that people use to be like, ah, yes, yeah, so all of this group identify like this. That's not how this works. Blanket statements in broad special, like... Things are almost always incorrect. Uh, don't go into that line of thinking. In this case, the idea that she might have been intersex is why they started doing further tests and allowed her to transition. We don't know if it was actually true or if it was just a doctor being like, this is a way that will let us help you. Either way, she felt how she felt. And this was a v- 
for her was it a very emotional mental thing much more than it was a physical thing of like yeah her body felt wrong to her she knew that she was a woman so she began surgically transitioning and this was trickier because while she had the support of Gerda and a handful of friends there wasn't a lot of public knowledge regarding individuals like Lily and she was a fairly famous painter but so most of her friends and people were kept in the dark during this to try and protect her so the first operation took place in 1930 in Berlin and involved surgical castration as well as the first of many hormone injections Uh, Magnus Hirschfeld consulted on the procedure and Warner Cross performed it so following the first procedure, Elby changed drastically from her handwriting to her voice. No explanation is given as to how such things were altered so differently, but within her memoir, she describes it as if she were finally set free to be herself. While there are no sources which explore the sudden shift, um, it's quite possible that it was rooted in a psychological thing and that she finally felt empowered by people respecting her and allowing her and helping her be who she are, that it freed her of the dysphoria and the emotional box that kept her acting in a masculine fashion. It's also possible that after just after waking up, she just finally felt free to act as herself. It could have been a hormonal change. It could have been so many things. We don't know anything about what happened other than she was much happier and was acting much more feminine after her first procedure, and she, this brought her great joy. And while she did experience a profound shift after her first operation, she continued onward with more operations throughout her development as a woman. Uh, Very shortly after recovering from her first procedure, she went to the Dresden Municipal Women's Clinic to get two more operations. Uh, Both were in 1930, um, she had a panectomy followed by a transplantation of human ovar- ovarian tissue. Uh, both surgeries went smoothly, and following her recovery, she began to reclaim all aspects of her past life. Uh, so it was a, a pretty trying experience still, though, and she really much did view herself and Einer to have been two separate individuals, and in turn uh, got really upset when people brought Einer up. Uh, one such occurrence was when Dr. Warner Crows recommended that Lily take up uh, painting again, which was Einer's past profession, and in turn led to a breakdown. Uh, Gerda wrote that Lily was utterly despondent over the interaction, believing that the professor sees in her nothing but a female impersonator, that is to say, Einer. Um, this is significant because it again reveals the topic of dysphoria um, in LB's development. And the idea that someone, whether it be an old stranger or an old friend or a stranger on the street, might recognize her as someone who had once been a man, was one of Elby's worst nightmares. She wanted no connection to Einar, his life, his manhood, and required the support of her friends and family in removing all traces of Einar from her life. So, like, she cut out a lot of people from that part of her life who she thought might, at some point, bring this back up or see this connection Um, and I think that, that is also a thing that some people who are trans now can really relate to of the, like, you, it's, that's not who you are, and people bringing it up just feels like it's invalidating who you are now. Um, yeah, so once her transition was mostly complete, scientists began treating her as a woman, uh, but a lot of society didn't. Again, a lot of her friends 
just wouldn't acknowledge her existence, and she wrote in her memoir that all of the male friends of Einer avoided Lily, and in fact one such friend anonymously submitted Lily's story to a newspaper that was published for all of Copenhagen. Uh, transgender people were just ostracized and treated like shit, and she was made to be a pariah by her former friends and total strangers who read the new story in the press because some dick just outed her. Which is so shitty. Again, outing people. Bad. Never out someone. Just don't do it. Um, so she knew from this ostracization, from her experience, that uh, she was be- her entire existence was outlawed in Copenhagen. And she left the city again and like was basically like, I'm never going back. I'm not doing it. I can't face this. Uh, so in spite of this, or perhaps because of this, uh, she appeared in court to petition the King of Denmark to validate her identity as a woman. So days after her petition, she was made aware of the King's decree, which declared invalid the marriage conducted between Einar and Gerda, and within months, her legitimate papers were in order. By royal sanction, Lily was permitted to use her name without challenge of legality. So, uh, while members of society didn't feel comfortable recognizing LB as a woman, the King's decree kind of left no doubt, especially because her case was supported by some members of the scientific community um so literally had an official passport under the name of lily um isla elvenes um in october 1930 because king christian the 10th of denmark was like yep she's a woman now and a woman and a woman can't be married so uh no no can't happen i'm annulling it and i don't i don't know what he was thinking i don't necessarily know why he was like this is illegal but he literally was like i this has to be annulled because she's a woman and she's a woman that's bad and so by doing so he literally was like yeah this this woman right here in front of me is is a woman don't care what the paper said she was born as she's a woman um so that was great the king literally said it if only the people now would keep saying it and accept that but uh them's the breaks um, so also, in this annulling of the marriage, it was a, a very amicable thing, and they remained friends. Uh, Lily was able to reunite romantically with a childhood acquaintance-turned-lover, um, Claude Lejeune, um, and he proposed to her and invited her to travel with him, and she was like, heck yeah, I love you, I want to have a life with you, but also something still feels like it's missing. Um, she felt that herself was missing, and upon sitting down again with Dr. Warnercross in Dresden, she realized that what she needed before she could continue with her life was that she wanted to be a mother. And she asked op- doctors to operate her one final time to help her do this. Um, again, this is a personal thing that she felt she needed. She wanted to be a mother. That's part of her personal journey. But so her final operation involved the implantation of a uterus and the construction of an artificial vagina. Unfortunately, her body rejected the new uterus and she suffered from an infection. Drugs to prevent rejection weren't readily available yet, and I don't think they became available until, like, the 1980s, maybe. Um, And on September 13th, 1931, she died from cardiac arrest brought on by the infection caused by the rejection of this. So, which is really sad that she, in her quest to be as much of a woman as possible and wanting the full experience her body just wasn't couldn't handle that and medical science wasn't quite up to that level and so she passed away 
but she passed away being fully legally recognized as a woman with her name as she wanted it to be. And I think that's something that's important. And it's, I think it's also important to recognize that, like, she wasn't super well known at first, uh, but her memoir is what drew attention to her as a historical figure and is why we can still kind of talk about her and know about her. Um, so it was published in the 1930s, but then in 1953, 22 years after her death, Man and to Woman was published in English. And it was sold as a pulp novel, which is odd, but I think that's because it was like the only way to really get it published without all of the politicians being like, oh, this is sin. Um, and it was one of the first books to talk about transgender people. It is technically written by Ernest or Ernst Ludwig Hathorne Jacobson, who was a deal friend of Elby's. And he used her letters, diary entries, personal conversations, and her own writings to write this book. Um, he also gave everyone pseudonyms for their protection. So uh, if you ever read it and you're like, some of these names seem a little off. He did that on purpose to try and protect anyone and protect their legacy, I guess. Um, and it's interesting because in this book, LB's sexual desire is constructed entirely separate and different from LB's and or from Einer's I mean and Einer was very happily married to Gerda and loved her dearly but one during as part of her transition Lily realized that she was attracted towards men and that's who she wanted to pursue and so she did uh the book had a lot of very divisive responses uh but it also kind of served as a beacon of hope for some transgender individuals early on who hadn't really known that, like, gender reaffirming surgery was a thing, or that it was possible to live as a different gender, that it was possible to do any of these things, that it, you could ha petition a king and he could validate your gender. Um, and so it, it revealed a lot about her life and her motivation as she dealt with, like, fragmented identity and the struggle of existing in a society that didn't understand what she was or even accept her. Uh, and so I think... I think it's a really interesting read, and it's a work that remains really important to the history of sexuality and gender because of the distinction it makes between sexual orientation and gender orientation. Um, and it's, it's suddenly, if you want to know more about her, I highly encourage you to read this book because it is, for the most part, in her own words about her own experiences of what was going on in her brain. And I think... I much prefer us talking to the people and learning their experiences from them instead of, you know, watching a movie by Hollywood. Uh, so that movie, it's called The Danish Girl. It was directed by Tom Hooper. The screenplay was by Lucinda Coxon and the book was by David Ebershoff. It starred Eddie Redmayne as Lily and Alicia Vikander as Gerda and it came out in 2015. Full disclosure, I hate this movie. I hate this movie in a lot for a lot of reasons. Um, and I'll touch on some of it now because I would much rather you know who this woman was and want to go explore more about her in general or want to learn more about the science behind what, like her transition, if that's what you're into. Don't fucking watch this movie if you want to learn about her. It's just disrespectful and it is a disservice to her and everything she stood for. Um... And there are a ton of articles out there by people who are a lot more eloquent to me than me about why cis actors shouldn't play trans characters. So I'm just going to link some of those in the to read section. 
but I don't super love that a cishet man was cast to play a trans woman, but like, what's new in Hollywood? Uh, super, super don't love that Redmayne got called brave and heroic for his portrayal of a trans woman, because like, oh wow, look at this straight man, look how, look how good he's doing, he, he's really capturing this emotion, um, Except, you know, he didn't. I super don't like that his portrayal of a woman was, like, very caricature-like. Because, while in some ways, LB was seeking what society said was womanhood, there was a lot of depth to that and a lot of personal thought and conversations and reflection. And she was her own woman. She was who she wanted to be. Not necessarily who society thought she should be. I mean, if it was she was who society thought she would have been, she wouldn't have transitioned. Um, and I just I I hate the idea that the entire depiction of her in this movie is just very caricature like and flat and it's I don't know, it just annoys me. Um there's a really good quote from another article. Uh it was actually about Scarlett Johansson, but I think it's still applicable. Uh, which is, and as long as we live in a society where trans people see a fraction of the opportunities afforded to cis people, it will continue to be deeply unjust when cis actors steal parts from trans talent. So that also highlights another thing, is trans people aren't given a lot of opportunities. They're not being given the chance to, like, play themselves on screen or play anyone on screen. So the few times that there is a trans, like, character or trans person being depicted, it's just, like fuck you if you're not going to cast trans people. I don't know how to say this nicely. Like, no, that's bad. There's so many reasons that's bad. Literally everyone has always told you that's bad. Stop doing it. But also, I don't know what else to expect from Hollywood because, like, they're just fucked up. Um, another thing I don't like about the movie was truth to story. It definitely made the movie more palatable for Hollywood and was, like, dramatize some things that didn't need to be dramatized and cut out things that I thought were fairly important and just weren't necessarily true to what we know to be true of the facts. Um, Part of that is also the movie definitely took a lens of focusing on how Gerda felt about the transition and less about how Lily felt about getting to transition and how like affirming that was and how validating it was and how important it was. A lot of the movie was like, this is really hard on her wife. Look how sad her wife is. This is really hard. What would you do if the man you loved suddenly wanted to be a woman? Oh my god, everything's so awful. She's so sad and depressed and doesn't feel loved and doesn't feel like she's worth anything. And like, I don't know what Gerda Gottlieb was thinking. I don't know what she was feeling. I'm not her. But I will say that a lot of the articles we have and like facts about this was that she was very supportive of Lily Elby and that she just wanted this person who she cared deeply about to be mentally well. And what would help her be well was to be able to live as the gender she thought she was. And that, well, she knew that she was. Live as the gender she was. And so I thought it was very shitty and disrespectful to both Lily Elby and Gerda Gottlieb to change that, to dramatize it. Because... This woman was so amazing. She literally supported Lily Elby through a lot. And yeah, there were probably times that it was hard or that she didn't understand or that she was like, I'm losing my husband. But for the most part, when she was speaking and writing about this, she was very openly supportive. And I 
I thought it was not great to paint the entire movie through a lens of this is really hard and that the focus on someone's transition should be on the family struggle and not, you know, the person who's transitioning. Um, but that's, a, that's just me. There's one other review that I thought uh, really touched on something that resonated with me, which was that it's discomforting as hell being so early in my own transition and seeing words like bravery and heroism used to describe Redmayne, even though he'll be able to shut off the experience after his probable Oscar win, all the while having it, having it be a matter-of-fact point of life for me and millions of other trans women like me. And you get this in Redmayne's performance, of course, only instead of approximating a single individual, he's approximating femininity itself, ratcheting his exaggerated nervous physical tics to 11 when playing both Einar and Lily. As Einar, he's doing a proto-Stephen Hawken with shaking hands, sad eyes, and a sickly confection and a breathy voice. As Lily, he performs womanhood by way of stereotype. Another reviewer ex- described his acting as exaggerated simpering body language all head ducking and languid caresses which she learned studying a peep show stripper someone who is herself play acting a faux femininity for men um and there's just a lot there's a lot of things in the movie like how they show when she's first dressing in the dress and putting on makeup for as a model the close-ups and everything the the tucking of her, her penis uh there's just a lot of focus on things that are almost fetishizing and intrusive and it doesn't really invite empathy or understanding to this woman and her journey but it just kind of otherizes her and pushes her away and I don't know I don't I don't know um another article talked about like the sad man and drag thing which is kind of what they do in this movie like it's all about her fashion and her makeup and how how she did these things and not exploring the the finer points of her femininity and her transition and all of these things that I think like people who are trans just know the complexity of that it just is so frustrating because you can just watch the movie and see it's like it's not that I don't even know what you were trying to do, but this isn't it. So there's just, yeah. I don't like the portrayal of Lily. I don't like the casting of a cishet white man to play a trans woman. I don't, I don't like the focus on how hard it is for everyone around her for her transition. I don't like the fetishizing aspects of it. There's just a whole lot. So don't watch the movie. Go read Man into Woman or go look, do some research. Go go to the further reading section. Please just look at look at how cool this woman was and appreciate her and everything she did and how groundbreaking her surgeries were and how they paved the way for a lot of things. Um because I think she's cool and I think her existence and her willingness and need to live her life as truthfully as she could as herself even in the face of a lot of friends and people being really shitty to her, is worth knowing about. 
So that's it for today. Thank you for your time. I hope you learned something interesting. Uh, Next episode is going to be pretty special because it'll be our first time having a guest on the show. So my friend Smith will be coming on to talk about a pretty cool lesbian named Charlotte Cushman. Uh, If you want to learn more about Lily Elby, uh, check out our website for this episode's sources and some recommendations on further reading you can do. If you have any questions you'd like answered on the show or just in general, feel free to chat with me at Machine. Uh, Discord, or on our Twitter at TimeLGBTQ, or on my personal Twitter at FairyPrinceTheo. Until then, this was LGB Time Machine with Theo. Thank you to the Orange Groves for hosting us. Thank you to you for listening. Love and light to all. I'll speak to you next time. And I'm Joe. Sugar We're Going Down podcasting is exactly what it sounds like. Each week, we get a random Fall Out Boy song and discuss it in various ways, such as... What are its merits musically? Is it a bop? Does it have chugs? It's lyrical complexity. Sometimes Pete writes a triple entendre, and sometimes he doesn't even finish the first entendre. Does the video make any goddamn sense, though? Usually, no. How gay does it make us feel? Usually, a lot of gay. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your personal podcatcher of choice and get a new episode every Wednesday until it kills us. Caitlin, is this more than you bargained for yet? Honestly, it already is.